Good morning, everyone. Good morning. I'll uh, just say a few quick words to get us started. Just want to reintroduce myself. I think I know many of the, the folks who are here, and that's a fantastic thing. Uh, but uh, I'm John Turner. I'm the head of the middle school, and I'm really glad that you've uh, made time in your day to come and join us for this conversation on taking care of our kids uh, to make sure that we think about all the ways we can support them through what you know certainly can be challenging times and also exciting times to be a young person and to grow um, through um, the experiences that they have here at a school like foot um, just want to tell, talk a little bit about sort of kind of how this came together. A few weeks ago, uh, we were talking, Kasuth, Carol, and I were talking, and, and we have, you know, just conversations now and then about, you know, things that are going on in our community, and we were talking a little bit about just kind of the, the flutters of, of anxiety that happen with kids, and we were talking about it, and we know that it's something that happens uh, in smaller conversations within our campus and within your um, your friendships and within your homes as well and thought well if we're talking about it people are talking about it, let's talk about it together and so we thought it'd be good to bring a group together to sort of share their um, perspectives on uh, stress anxiety health and wellness in our in our middle school students and I'll talk um, in just a few minutes but I also want to just kind of share kind of to frame the conversation here that um, we're joined by Dr. Michael Kaplan who's our school's consulting psychiatrist and um, he'll talk about sort of healthy and unhealthy stress uh, for kids uh, Kasuth Bradford our school counselor I will be talking about ways to kind of put a positive frame on some of the things that are, um, at, you know, at work in kids' lives. Uh, Pam Fortin, our director of technology, uh, a few words on social media and stress, and then Carol will talk a little bit about um, the things that we can do um, as parents to um, kind of be more mindful about the ways that we might possibly contribute to um, some of what our, our kids feel a little bit and also talk about how it kind of projects forward into the school, the secondary schools process for some of you who are thinking about that ahead as well. But I want to begin, if I can, just to um, talk a little bit about kind of the, some of the things that we um, actively do here at school to think about how to help our students kind of navigate their their days, their weeks, their their years, and, and their experience here in the middle school. And uh, I will certainly get to that in, a, in just a sec, um, but one thing I also want to share with you is that what we are talking about here today um, and what you might be talking about within sort of your own uh, you know, circles and your own homes as well is not something that's unique to New Haven or to Foot School or to, um, to independent schools. Uh, the idea that middle school students, especially in this day and age, are feeling just kind of you know, butterflies of stress and anxiety is something that's happening in lots of schools across the country. And so it's, I think there's something actually, I think, helpful to know that this, it's not just our school. Um, that this is this is happening, you know, across the country, and and if it weren't, there weren't be w there wouldn't be so many articles out there, um, you know, that uh, that people uh, have written and and uh, you know put forth advice and, and thoughts on managing these these things. And when I talk to middle school heads and other school leaders uh, from other schools, we talk about this now and then. They say, yeah, we're we're going through things too. So it's comforting in a way to know that you know that's something we're all sort of managing. But I do want to talk a little bit about the things that we do here at school in, in kind of this, this um, area. And I want to first talk about the, um, the strength of our middle school faculty. And one of the things I really appreciate about our middle school is that the, middle the teachers in our middle school are truly dedicated middle school educators. They really understand the middle school years. They understand 
the ages from 11, 12, 13, 14, and all the way up to 15, the span of kids that we have here and how they grow and the little bit of a, a roller coaster that it can be for kids and how to help them navigate it. And the expertise of our community is just fantastic. It's uh, not uncommon for a, a teacher to stop me and say, I just noticed something just a little bit out of sorts with a particular student and you know, I wonder if we should talk about that or, or you know, maybe I'll bring it up at the next meeting or something like that. And I, just the educators, the teachers here are very keen on watching out for and thinking about the, um, the lives of middle school kids. Within that, our advisory program, uh, the idea that we have a teacher who connects with each of your children uh, often three times a day at homeroom, at lunch, at study hall, uh, can see them in all their different times of day, different dimensions. Many of those advisors also teach them in class even. So um, the fact that you have a, certainly one adult that you know will see your children uh, multiple times in the day, look out for them in the social, academic, emotional, and physical realms and just make sure that they are on track. And certainly developing partnerships with you as parents is fantastic. Those advisory teams meet on a weekly basis and within those half an hour meetings, those six or eight advisors within that team will just share ideas and, and say, hey, I noticed this or let's anticipate this event um, that's coming up or you know, the big hump of the big paper going on in a particular grade um, will be certainly part of their conversations. Um, we also have, um, twice a month, we have a meeting of uh, what we call the health team. Um, it's the meeting of school leaders, school administrators, um, our head of learning support, Kasuth, um, Dr. Kaplan joins those meetings. And we might bring up at those meetings um, maybe two, maybe three students within our school community um, who we've just kind of noticed that we you know, might want to talk about um, and uh, you know, think about how we can strategize and uh, support them a little bit better and certainly um, further any conversations we're having with parents um, to um, support those students as well. Within our curriculum, uh, we have our, uh, we have uh, for many years now, we've had a uh, sixth grade uh, health and wellness curriculum that's run through our, our PE department, which covers a variety of topics for kids. And uh, just this past year, we added a um, spring health series for our eighth grade, um, eight different sessions where we uh, tried to impart a lot of the um, knowledge, the wisdom we'd like them to have before they go on to their high school years as well. And we feel like it's just a great opportunity to talk to with them anything about from anywhere about uh, healthy body image to um, to good uh, good and healthy relationships uh, you know uh, and then also talking a little bit about um, nutrition um, talk about social media so we can use those eight sessions to really work with kids to give them some knowledge that they can use well We've also, um, over the last couple of years, thought about the ways that we can make adjustments in our school program. Uh, three years ago, we noticed that um, the sort of run up to the end of the year with um, exams and what we didn't feel were high stake exams were really being treated as very high stakes exams and, and causing uh, quite a bit of anxiousness in our students. And so we, we restructured that. We met as a faculty throughout the following year and talked about what can we do and what can we do better. And so um, what we've done over the last couple of years and will continue into this year is to uh, try to sort of spread out the culminating assessments that occur at the end of any particular course. Um, maybe think about maybe not having a project and an exam that finishes a course, but if the project is what we really want to uh, use to help kids demonstrate their learning, then let's just go with that and think about the ways that we can spread that out, but also make strategic choices about how we help students wrap up their learning and, and celebrate their learning at the end of the year. Uh, another example of kind of making adjustments is something that you might see if you're a sixth grade parent right now. 
Uh, those kids are gearing up for their probability and statistics project, their casino project. And over the last uh, few years, we've decided to, you know, kind of lower the temperature on those. And students are creating their casino games here in in-house and they're made of cardboard and they're they they you know just paint them by hand and so forth and less time with parents and power tools and things like that uh, to uh, you know to to feel like that's got to take over two weekends and and well is you know mine's not you know taller than than hers and 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 so forth and it's got to be bigger and better but we say no let's focus on celebrating what you learned and then find a fun way to demonstrate that and if it's a little wobbly that's okay, and, and we want to give that message, and if we can you know, ask you to help with that message, that would be great. Um, we certainly create, um, as much as we can, cultures of support within our school community too. helps kids to help look out you know, for one another, and we see them doing that, and as I suggested, you know, a lot of uh, the adults in our community do a nice job of that as well. Um, and finally, I just want to also value partnerships with our parents. Um, it's a fantastic thing to be able to work with the parents in our community to, um, to be able to make a call on a weeknight and just say, hey, we just noticed some things at school that we um, you know, uh, sort of picked up and wanted to ask about them. And, and it's not uncommon for me to make a call and then for a parent to say, you know, actually, you know, we just had to put our dog down last Friday and that's been really hard. And that's why, you know, that my son might be out of sorts. And we say, oh, now how can we support you with that? But having those partnerships, having those relationships uh, is a fantastic thing. And that's a two-way street, too. We often will hear from a parent to say, hey, something's going on in our lives. Or, you know, hey, it's been a bit of a juggle with our schoolwork lately. Um, can you help? And, um, and we're glad to do that. So we feel, you know, that we're you know, actively working in lots of different ways to support our kids and to support you as parents as well, and we want to keep doing that. Um, I'm going to just turn things over to Dr. Kaplan here, and we're going to move this microphone because we are oh. making a podcast out of the things we're saying here. Oh, my here. God, a um, podcast. Yeah, podcast. Um, and so, uh, so I'll pass it on to Dr. Kaplan for his shining children, moment here. My children will be very impressed I'm on a podcast. <laughs> is this your first? Um, it, it's not, but my first at foot school. Okay. Well, so, that's, um, that's the height. you and Sam Harris. That's right. <laughs> Um, so good morning, everybody. Um, so I have the cheery job of talking about stress in children. Um, and children. Uh, uh, and when you read about stress in children, you say there's lots of articles. Um, there was a big survey done several years ago by the American Psychological Association that found that rates of uh, anxiety among children are going up. It's probably no surprise. And that the top things that children are worried about are school, getting into college, uh, and, um, and friendships. Um, but it was interesting to see that school and college was to me almost the same thing are very much on, on, on children's minds. Um, and that when you think about children's stress and schools and stress, it's hard not to think about what happened last week in Florida. And we're not gonna, that's not my point about talking here, but, but, but to get to sort of the end, and I, I don't wanna steal any of your thunder because we thought what to do, but what impresses me most about children is their resiliency um, and action. And so if I had to boil things down to a few points, one of them would be that what helps kids with stress is being active and doing things. And what impressed me so much, I'm sure all of you here, is to see that, that they say, we're not gonna take this, they, they're taking the bull by the horns and saying, adults, you failed us. We're the ones suffering, do something. And, 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 um, and I was really impressed. And I think our children are in a similar way in, in terms of that taking the bull by the horns. And I think that the, the way to manage stress, I think we've all found, if to get to the, to the, 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 um, the punchline is, is doing something like turning stress into action because what is stress and now I'm going to talk about what stress is so stress is a, a you know biological system that's been conditioned by evolution it's our early warning system it's what keeps us safe it's what keeps us on alert it keeps us uh, protected and we all need this uh, we all have it everyone has a stress system 
um, and it, um, it's kind of like a, our way of knowing if there's perceived threat or danger, uh, which was something that was very helpful when we were um, <laughs> more primitive in our lives and pre-industrially, uh, but now we don't have all those threats in our lives, um, but yet we still have this system, and the system has to go somewhere. It's that system that turns on the fight or flight response, and so, um, and so it, it's very helpful to us, but it can also be sort of our downfall. And we all have it, and we're all in a continuum. So all of us in this room and all of our children fit somewhere along this stress, the internal biological stress continuum. Some are more stressed, say over here, and some are less stressed. You know, some are more chill and some are more high strung. And so we all find ourselves and we all have a sort of a threshold for what makes us anxious. And when we think about our children, those of you who had more than one child know that um, you know, one child can be very relaxed and one child can be off the charts anxious. Um, and so that is reassuring to us as parents because thank God we didn't cause it. Um, <laughs> at least what they came with, right? Like, whew, like one, one thing off the list to be guilty about. Um, and, um, but they all fit somewhere along there and part of our job as parents is where they fit along that spectrum and how to move them, say, down, like down regulate them to be on the lower stress. And sometimes with those low stress kids, we sort of have to say, well, maybe you should be a little more worried about this kind of thing. Uh, so part of our job is to figure out where it's so the normal part of parenting and the normal part of stress is to say, where is that child? Where's our child? What sort of constitutionally, what genetically do they bring to the situation? Um, uh, whether it's their friendships, their school, their family, uh, <clears throat> or their experience of life, and then how to keep them, you know, from, you know, tipping over too far to one to the other end. Um, so stress, um, where does stress come from? Stress then um, comes from two places. One is internal, as I've just been describing. We have internal biological stress thresholds. We have our own alert systems that are either on high alert or low alert. Those are things we're pretty much out of, we don't have as much control over. Um, and then there's stresses that come from outside of us. So there's the internal and the external. And those are things that come from <clears throat> you know, our families, uh, that come from our friendships and come from school. So those are the three places that children find themselves. And, and the other is so that outside media, which I think really, and we'll get to media in, in a little while, and that's sort of the newer part of stress. Um, and that we're sort of flooded, our children are flooded with all kinds of, um, of, of images and stories and reports <clears throat> and things that you know, used to, even within the last few years, it's such a, uh, a rapidly changing environment that we thought like you could just turn off NPR on the way to school you know, 15 years ago or, or not put the TV on at night was really fine, but anyone who's on a computer doing your homework, like there are things that are popping up all the time you know, um, and so, so those are things that we have very little control over. So they're really those four sources of stress, outside stress, our families, our friends, school, and the outside media, all of which can be operating at different levels at different times. Um, and I think what John was talking about just now is what, the, what foot school is doing to kind of regulate that degree of stress and the kinds of things that we put in place here to help children and thinking constantly, always reworking, thinking what can we do better. Um, you know, Kasuth and I have started meeting with the eighth grade uh, starting last year. Uh, we have a meeting with them where we talk about some of these things, about what's healthy stress and what's unhealthy stress, when to worry and what not to worry. <laughs> and I wanted to share some of those things uh, with you this, this morning. Um, so when I think about symptoms of stress, I think about four different categories. I think about physical category, I think about the mental category, I think emotionally, then I think about behaviors. And I think a lot of you are here this morning because you want to know, you know, how do we identify stress in our children? And then what do we do about it? And then we had to, had to prevent stress in our children. And so, and all of us are feeling like, oh my God, I don't want to miss something uh, in my child, uh, which, is, which is a, um, you know, a universal, a universal thought among parents. So what things do you look for? What things do you not have to worry about? So 
The key thing about when you have to worry, when you don't worry, is I think about chronic versus acute. You know, so if a child, any child, any given child, it's totally normal for them to come back, come home and have like a temper tantrum or a meltdown or be stressed about a test or I can't write this paper or look what happened with my friends or they're all going to the movies, they didn't invite me um, or all the kinds of things that can um, be symptoms of stress. Or they may have a headache or a stomachache and I'll get to those four categories in a moment. If, if it's something that's ongoing and long-lasting, you might start to worry about it and think, oh, do I need to check in with somebody or do I need to check in with my child? Um, if it's something that just happens over the course of a day or a few days, it's not th th those aren't really the alarm bells. Those are things that are normal, that our kids, right, like even us, we go up and down. If you think about us in our lives and our families and work, um, it's pretty much analogous that if we have something that if our boss is really bothering us or work is really horrible for a day or two and we don't get over it, then we're okay. But if it keeps going, then we think maybe we have to do about it. It's, it's very similar for kids. So what do you need to be on the lookout for and what are the things that might cause some um, uh, concern? So the first one with kids, uh, no matter how verbal our foot school kids are, um, they're still children and physically, uh, the physical realm is often where we can see things. So appetite and sleep, um, headaches, stomach aches, fatigue. Uh, you know, are they going to the nurse a lot? Um, the nurses here keep very good logs of our children and who's coming and not. Um, are they having, you know, um, nausea, vomiting, uh, and, and sort of experiencing all of their stress within their body. Um, that's the most classic way. We're all animals. We're part of the animal kingdom. Th that's the original way that stress would uh, express and be experienced. Um, the second is mental um, and psychological. And so are they having trouble concentrating? Uh, can they um, complete their schoolwork? Are they doing their homework? Um, are they getting reports from their teachers that things aren't going as well? Or are their grades uh, slipping? Are they having trouble with their memory or becoming indecisive? Uh, have they lost their sense of humor? So there's a psychological realm that can also be affected by stress. Um, and, uh, and those are the things that I, I think are things that we would are, are most uh, acutely aware of. Uh, and then gets to, uh, I get to the emotional side of things, um, which probably describes all of your children, mood swings, depression, <coughs> irritability, anger, aggressive, um, uh, talking back to you, um, uh, being impatient or short-tempered. Uh, these things all are, again, all these things I'm talking about are normal with adolescents, but the question is how intense and how long um, and is it impacting their functioning? Um, and uh, the, finally is sort of behavioral things. Are they, uh, do they seem more keyed up? Uh, are they um, having some nervous habits? Uh, are they becoming more aggressive? Um, are they just sort of doing things in their life that you hadn't really seen before? Um, again, you want to look for the contours, you want to look for the shape of this, you want to look for how long this is going on. Uh, but again, there are things, again, in the, the physical world, the psychological world, the emotional world, um, and in terms of their behaviors, those are places where they may start uh, expressing things. Um, and again, if you have more than one thing and more than one category over a long period of time, that's a time to maybe check in. And probably the best person to check in with is, is your child's advisor. Um, and this is not to give them a lot of extra business, <laughs> um, but I think they really know, you know, as a, as a, a parent of a middle school alum, um, they know your children really well. And I think if you're having more conversations at home or should we worry about Johnny or Sarah, um, and it goes on for more than a few days, um, I think that, um, you know, we're, we're, we live in an environment now where you don't have all your family around you. There's not your aunt or your uncle or the cousins or the grandparents around. In the old days, that's probably what would have happened. The, we've, you know, the school has become part of this community that helps raise your children. And I think that a lot of parents don't realize, oh, maybe I should go talk to uh, my child's teacher. Um, I want to, um, 
so I think what we'll do now is probably move on to Kasuth uh, in terms of you know, ways in which we, we think about stress. Um, and, but finally, I, I just want to end with um, things not to worry about. I don't think you need to worry about the drama that happens. Uh, many of you may experience it or hear about it. That's very normal. Um, again, watch for the ups and downs. It's usually like a curve that goes like this, but if the curve stays high, I think then you need to worry about it. And, 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 the, and the last thing that we see more in older teenagers, but what I'm seeing um, happening more as children, uh, is sort of, as things sort of move down, uh, as children have more exposure, are, are thoughts of self-harm. Um, I think if we need to take all those things very seriously, it's fortunately very rare. Um, but I think that now with social media, and we'll get down the row here, you'll hear more about uh, the ways in which children communicate. I think it's very important to monitor your children's social media. I think you should be uh, have their path, in middle school especially, I think it's important that you are on Facebook, but they don't even use Facebook, we use Facebook. But whatever things they're on, their Instagram accounts, also be aware children sometimes what are called Finsta accounts, which are fake Instagrams, so they have their like real Instagrams and not. Now how we find those things, I'll leave it to down the table. Um, but I think that, um, especially for middle, middle school, that it's fine for you to be mean. <laughs> I'm fond of saying this, and those who've been in my talks, if, if your kid says, you're the only parent who has my Instagram account, you're the only, you're not the, when you hear that line, that means there are more than one parent, okay? Um, and I think it's very important to be on, you know, those are places where children are expressing themselves. Um, and I think that often we hear things from other students about other students, and then you know, sort of word comes around. Uh, but I think it's really fair for you to be on social media and to be following your kids and to be open about it. I wouldn't, but the thing I would not do is, is, is not tell them that you're following them. It's sort of like the old days with the diary. Like that doesn't happen in my office. I get, I found my daughter's diary and I read it. What do I do? I said, we have to tell her you read it. Um, and as much as that might lead to an explosion, that explosion is so worth it. It is so worth it. It may break your trust for like, the kids' trust is like this. Our sense of trust and their sense of trust they have a best friend one day, they have a best friend another day. Um, and I think that it's important to just be open about these things. We live in a very different world now. Um, and I think it's fair to say if you have a Facebook or Instagram, or a, obviously we can't follow, there's lots of things we can't follow. And I often we get questions like, how do we follow Snapchat? It evaporates. But the things that are, are you can follow, follow. The things we can't follow, I think we should just know that there's some things we won't know about our kids. Um, but anyway, I'll move on to Kasuth and sort of how we think about things in a healthy way. Good morning, everybody. Um, so I am going to talk about research-based um, activities and mindsets that just help kids stay resilient and be more resilient to the, all the different stresses they're, they're being exposed to out there. Um, and some of the things I'm going to talk about are pretty basic and I think things that we're all already engaged in and familiar with, but, but I think it's always good just to be reminded of so we can kind of target them a little bit more consciously, say maybe sometimes with our kids. Um, the first thing that, that uh, comes to mind is exercise. Um, there's a great uh, video that I, I like to watch with this um, neuroscientist, John, Dr. John Medina, and he talks about the three most important qualities for uh, leadership and developing children's executive functioning. And the first thing he says is exercise. Um, and he talks about just how important it is for brain development, stress reduction, um, heart development. And it's great because he says, and, and I'll whisper this just because I have John and Carol next to me, but um, he, he mentions that in school, the most important uniform really should be the gym uniform. And kids should be spending a majority of their day exercising with little dollops of, of academics interspersed <laughs> in it. Um, so, you know, the, the exercise piece, I think they say it's about 150 minutes per week 
um, of, of exercise that can do all the, have all those kind of positive benefits uh, that we know of when it comes to exercise. And I have to say just anecdotally, I, I, I can't say enough of how, how many times with my two daughters, it's been cast in the house and I'm saying, all right, we gotta go for a walk. And it's like magic. We go for a walk, we do some sprinting, and it's like they come back different kids. Um, and, and obviously it's the activity of just hanging out together and so forth, but just that physical exertion. So it doesn't have to be like going for a long run. It doesn't mean your kid has to go and you know go on the basketball court, but just getting outside, going for a little walk. And it's, and it's a great time to have with your kid um, or your children. So just, just something to think about on a Sunday or Saturday of just say like, you know, get up, get, get out of the you know, room or the tablet or the homework and let's just go for a stroll. Um, so that was one thing he spoke about. The other thing was sleep. And I know that's really difficult for middle school students just, you know, just from a biological perspective, they want to stay up later and they're getting up early and, you know, that's its own issue as well in terms of when school starts and, and, and the time that they really need to, to sleep. But um, it was great because he was saying that actually the brain is more rhythm rhythmically active during sleep than it is during the day. And he called it like offline processing occurs or offline downloading occurs during sleep. So it's basically like all the things you've learned, the kids have learned during the day, they're like processing that d during their sleep. And so it's just so important to um, have, give them that opportunity to do that. And I, once again, I know it's so hard it's because of their, their schedule and homework and so, things of that nature, but as much as you can kind of emphasize and you know, if you want to find this video, we'll show some links to all these different, these, these different topics that we're talking about, but um, you know, maybe show it to them and, and, and let them see like this is, this is you know, really important for your overall learning. As much as you want to kind of internalize all this stuff that you're getting in the day, this is a part of that process. Um, the third thing that, that jumps out to me is just the nutrition. Um, I know, once again, kids are running, there's schedules, there's practices, there's, uh, you know, music lessons, things of that nature. What they put in their body is huge. Um, and, you know, I have two people in my house who get low blood sugar very quickly. And um, it's amazing, once again, just having, like, healthy grains and foods of that nature that just hold them. We know about the carbs, we know about the sugar, we know about all the juices. And um, just really trying to be conscious and letting them know, hey, I know you're on the run but uh, having something with some real substance is gonna make a difference in terms of extending you through whatever it is that you're dealing with. Um, so those three initially jump out to me. Um, obviously, we all know there's a lot of information out there around gratitude, but there's just more and more research that's coming out about the value of it. Um, it's definitely something I try to do myself. I try to do it with the kids before they go to bed, of just like, you know, three things that you're grateful for. It does a lot of things in terms of just, it takes them out of their own mind. It takes them out of their own kind of myopic kind of thinking about themselves and what they don't have. And it kind of helps them focus on um, what they do have because we all know they have a lot. Um, there's, there's this thing, uh, concept called the hedonic, um, adapt, uh, the hedonic treadmill, if you will. And it's this idea that um, our levels of happiness are pretty steady. And so when we have something that's exciting, you know, we get excited for a little bit, but then it kind of goes back to this baseline pretty quickly. And so you see that with, you know, you get a new toy, you get some new sneakers and new clothes, and they say within like two to three weeks, the excitement of it, it just dips. And then you become kind of used to it and you take it for granted. And so that idea of gratitude and having to focus in on, you know, your everyday little experiences or just the fact that you have two legs and two arms that function and a brain that works and you can hear your parents yelling at you and you can, you know, <laughs> see um, the sea that you got that you're bummed out about, but just that you can do that is, is huge. And, and I think those little small moments of helping our kids and, you know, modeling that with them, um, I think is, is, is so important because once again, there's just more and more research is talking about um, gratitude and that's something that's pretty simple um, and, and basic. Um, in that same vein, uh, volunteering, 
just helping your, you know, having some, some time maybe once or twice a month where you're just going to give to others. Once again, it takes them out of their own kind of world of, you know, I don't have enough or they have more, and it helps them just get exposed to some folks who um, are experiencers or animals, whatever it may be, um, that, are, that are in need. And actually, what it, you know, there's all the, the kind of research that comes out that's been out about the value of giving rather than receiving. So it just gives them that opportunity once again to experience that. And I think most kids, when you really talk about how did that feel when you gave a compliment or you helped someone out, um, you know, you, you see the little light up, their, their face light up a little bit and, and get kind of excited about that idea of assisting and helping. So um, I know that's something that in our family we haven't been doing enough and it, it's something I'm, I'm constantly telling myself, we gotta get out there, especially when I hear my daughter whining about what she doesn't have or this person having this and, and, and it just reminds me of, the importance of, of getting out there and uh, giving to others. Um, let's see, what else do I have here? Um, this one um, I came across a, a, about a year ago or two years ago, and it was this idea of teaching your kids about your family history um, and the importance of letting your children know about what your grandparents and your great parents have been through. Because the idea is that there was there's three kind of narratives of our family went through horrible things and it's always been horrible. Our family went through, it was always great, we're, everything's been great our whole lives and you know, we're still doing great. And the third narrative is things have been hard, things have been, been, been good, and we've always fought to kind of get them back up. And that we, you have grandparents and great-grandparents who've struggled and, and overcome uh, different obstacles and challenges, and you come from a lineage of people who do that. And they said that you know, when you know that you come from something just beyond your own kind of mental capacity, that you come from people or, or family that has overcome, um, that that's empowering and that actually creates an incredible resilience in children to deal with stressors that come up. And actually it was kind of neat because when they did this study, it was before 9-11, and then they were able to um, retest those kids post 9-11. And the ones who knew their family story and their, and their history and what their parents had come over, they found to be far less impacted by um, what they experienced through 9-11. So they were really able to kind of really see firsthand how powerful um, that narrative was and that story was. So just something, and it's also a night, I think a great, you know, something that we've been trying to do more of, just teaching your kids, you know, about um, where they've come from and, and how much, um, you know, their family's members have experienced. Because I think sometimes they just see them, you know, playing with them and having fun and they don't realize, wow, they, you know, went through some pretty serious um, challenges and, and look at them now. So, um, a really, I, I felt, uh, an important um, kind of experience to engage in with your kids. Um, another great uh, ex uh, activity just to do as they talk about is nature, um, just being out in nature. Um, and obviously, we're on a beautiful campus, and I know just walking from my building to the main building is, or to, to lower uh, the lower campus is just such a treat to look around and look at the trees and um, a lot of research around just the value of being outside and looking up at the sky. And that also, I think, helps kids with this idea of things are greater than them. It takes them out of that, once again, that constant self-referencing uh, uh, and, and takes them out of their own head a little bit. It's that idea of um, awe. And there's been a lot of research around that as well, around the value of just the beauty of a sunset or the sunrise. And just, you know, once again, taking them out of their own heads, letting them see something that's kind of beyond them, um, makes them maybe feel a little small at sometimes and insignificant, and there's a value to that. Um, so uh, just kind of utilizing what's around you. Um, Self-compassion, big one. Um, 
research that I, I read uh, talked about the importance of uh, the benefit of self-compassion over self-esteem. And basically what they were saying is self-esteem is so dependent on external kind of uh, responses, like you got a good grade or you won the game, whereas self-compassion is something that's very internal. Um, and we all know, and I can fall into that same uh, phenomenon of being so self-abusive when we make mistakes and kind of getting down on ourselves. And, you know, it's a fine line of you, you want your, your child to also be accountable and, and to have some motivation when something goes wrong, but at the same time, to have some forgiveness and recognize that's just part of the human condition, that we struggle and we make mistakes and it's okay. Um, and I think if we can sh model that for our children, uh, that's even more powerful because I think, you know, we've all, they've captured all of us probably in those moments where we've got pretty, been pretty rough with ourselves and, and, and not the most kind to ourselves. So, um, you know, just kind of thinking about if, if, and talking to your kids about this idea of if your friend made that mistake, what advice would you give them? How would you respond to them? Um, and, and I think there's a, little, there's a little exercise you can actually do with that. And when I do ask kids that often, they're, they're often will say, yeah, you know, I don't talk to myself the way I talk to my friends if that same mistake occurred. So, you know, just kind of reminding them that the importance of um, you know, having that self-compassion with themselves. Um, and then two little tricks I'll say um, that, will be, that are helpful when it comes to just stress. Um, one is this idea of third-person self-talk. And, um, you know, for years people always said, oh, you know, you hear someone saying their name in third person, it seems like they're like a narcissist or, you know, they can't get enough of themselves. But um, there's a lot of research that talks about it creates a certain self-distancing or psychological distancing. So it's almost like when you use your first name uh, talking to yourself, it's like someone else is talking to you. And so that strategy they have found to be really helpful. And in the article, I, one of the articles I read about it, it was the guy who wrote, um, that book, Runner's Way or whatever, and I guess he, he did all these ultra marathons, you know, 100 mile runs and so mm -hmm. forth. And um, he goes in length about how he learned from his dad, who was a neurosurgeon, about self-talk, because when his dad would train him in certain things, he would be talking to himself. And then he found some research that all these surgeons um, use this idea of self-talk when they're, when they're doing surgery. And um, it, once again, it's just, uh, it creates that sense of, of distance while um, one is struggling or one is trying to figure something out, it, it kind of helps you kind of consider the idea that someone else is giving you that advice. Um, another thing to think about when you're with your kids is giving them this information around this, something called like um, a negativity bias. And so we have a tendency to kind of see things as the glass half empty than, rather than the glass half full. And so giving your kids, allowing your kids to be aware of this kind of idea that this can occur at times and so there's a process called like cognitive mod modification, um, uh, cognitive bias modification. It's this idea of helping your child see things, the, you know, the, 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 the benefits or the, the strengths that they have in a situation, or even though the situation isn't ideal, what are the qualities or what are the, what are the aspects of it that are beneficial or are positive? And so just letting them know that we might have a tendency to see, see it from a, a negative perspective, but there's definitely some components into this that you can focus in on that will um, maybe give you a different perspective. Um, and it kind of goes with this idea, there's a um, concept of when you're not focused on something, our mind starts to wander a little bit and it goes to something called the default mode network. And usually it's worrying thoughts that, and reoccurring thoughts that we go into. So this idea of knowing that that's gonna occur and that you have to kind of break that or you have to counteract that is just something that, that could be helpful to be aware of when talking to your kids about how they're viewing a test or how they're viewing an interaction they had with a classmate or a teacher. Um, and then finally, I would say, um, 
helping your kids recognize it's okay to ask for help. Um, I think, you know, it, as adults, they sometimes see that we're kind of trying to navigate things and, and as much as you can model, let them know it's okay to ask for help. It's no one who's been successful who's done it on their own. Um, we've all needed some assistance at, at some point. Um, and it's okay to make a mistake and it's all right to fail. And um, that's how we learn. And you know, there's enough research out there that talks about the, the idea that when you make a mistake, that's how your brain starts to grow and that's how neurons make connections and things of that nature. And it's like, um, that's part of life. And ask for help is also part of it. And, and we know in middle school, there's this sense of, I got it, I don't need you all. Um, you don't know what's going on. But um, as much as we can model with that to them that it's, it's okay to ask for help, um, it's okay to uh, uh, get assistance, I get it. Um, one statistic I share with students is that they said that 70% of the students who left college, um, it was mental health related, but 50% of those students never told anybody, which just blows my mind when you, when you think about this idea that you know, one of the most important experiences that, that these students are gonna have in their lives, and they didn't let anyone know that they were dealing with something uh, to the point that they left school. So um, it just speaks to this idea of, of um, the ask for help, the stigma around mental health and anxiety and, 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 and depression is so, is so big out there, but um, just letting them know it, it's okay to, uh, to get that assistance. Social media, too. <clears throat> just a huge explosion of social media. I mean, I think every time we turn around, there's a new app or a new something that kids are using and trying to stay on top of that is, is really, really hard. So I definitely acknowledge that as somebody who, you know, is deals with technology all the time. I know it's hard, and as parents, it's difficult to know what's going on with your kids in terms of social media. Um, I don't want to do gloom and doom, um, but with anything, there's definitely mo there's <coughs> moderation, everything in moderation. And what they're finding, while there's been such positive things that have happened as a result of social media, you know, and an ability to connect with people that we might not have been able to connect with before, um, and access to information, a sharing of ideas, uh, a commonality that comes with that. Those have all been really, really good things. <clears throat> but <clears throat> unfortunately, what's happening is kids are getting so involved and not looking up from their screens and really not taking the time to kind of distance themselves from being attached to their screens that there's more and more studies that are out there that are showing that there are some negative effects uh, on, on kids with regard to social media. Um, and one of, the, one of the things is there's three really, if you look at it, it breaks down into th three main points in, in terms of how it negatively impacts students. Um, one is it becomes a tool where they're just comparing each other to themselves to somebody else at all costs. Um, to the point where it just, this whole idea of peer validation becomes something that they become obsessed with. So that constant ding of the phone or ding of the pad, iPad or whatever, whatever device that they're on, they're constantly going, checking it to compare themselves to, to what's going on out there, to, to their friends. But let's face it, I mean, anybody who's on Facebook knows you're not posting a picture of yourself emptying the dishwasher or folding your laundry. You're posting all the things that are, are highlights in your life. So that trip that you took. Uh, that hike that maybe you took, or that amazing meal that you had when you went out. So unfortunately for kids, they don't look at it that way and don't realize that these are just highlights that people are, are posting. And so they're constantly looking to that for, for their validation. And I, I think, John, you had 
uh, fear of missing out. You know, there's that whole idea of fear of missing out. If I don't check, if I don't look, I'm missing out on something that's going on with my buddies or at school or, or what have you. So that's, that's the first thing, the whole idea of comparing yourselves. Um, and then the other thing is the, the idea of chasing the, the, the thumbs up or the hearts on Instagrams, the likes. Um, I've got to take the selfie, but the selfie's got to look really, really good. And oh, the 10th selfie still doesn't look good, so I'm going to take five more. And maybe the 15th one, it comes out okay, and I'm going to post it. And I'm going to constantly check to make sure that it got a lot of thumbs up or likes or, or, or comments. The more, the better. And they chase that idea of, of validation there, too, in terms of what they post. And so they, they, they get <clears throat> wrapped up in that, and that's not healthy either. Um, <clears throat> The other thing it does too is when you're making those posts, you're also not only opening yourselves up for some positive feedback, but you might also be opening yourself up to some of the negative things that might come down the pike. And it goes to this whole idea of you know kids maybe not necessarily sharing things that they're having difficulty with, or the fact that somebody might have said something negative or, or threatening or any, anything along those lines, they keep to themselves and they don't share that with, with, with someone, and that just weighs in on them. Um, the other thing is the amount of screen time can really negatively impact um, your sleep. Looking at that screen and the whole the blue light and the, the, the constant uh, things that you get on your phone or your, your tablet, that affects over time, that does affect your sleep. And if kids are keeping their devices and stuff in their bedrooms, they're hearing the ding and the buzzes and stuff and they're interrupting their own sleep to go and check out what's going on. So my advice on any of this would be to, to, to one, things in moderation um, and, and to keep an eye on. And I know you had spoken about, you know, know what your kids are doing. They're very good at hiding things, though. But when you can, have that conversation and find out what kind of social media that they're on and, and really encourage and model the whole idea of, of everything in moderation. Um, that would be my – I'm going to make it short because I know we're, we're running on time. So I will hand it over to you, Carol. Okay. I'm going to move that over to yeah. Hi. Um, I just want to talk a little bit about, I was thinking about the order of this, and probably Kasuth should have gone last because his was the most uplifting and the most positive. You could walk out with all these great ideas, so I probably belonged somewhere in the middle there. Um, but I want to talk briefly about perfectionism. And it's not uncommon, I'm sure you've heard it, we hear it a lot for teenagers and young teens to say that they feel overwhelmed. Um, also, by the way, you probably say that a lot too and when we say that we're overwhelmed we have to remember that our kids are picking up on that as well but it's not un unusual to hear that they're overwhelmed and a big part of you know the pressure that they're feeling is that they have to achieve and that in their mind they have to be perfect and not just in one sphere of their life in all spheres so they have to get good grades they have to get on the team they have to um, be part of that activity. They have to be socially adept and have a lot of friends, however they perceive that. And they, it's really a lot about how they look at themselves in the mirror. Their mirror are other people. Their mirror are the social media. How other kids perceive them is the way that they begin to perceive themselves. And they desperately want approval from others. And they want approval. You know, we can talk a lot about social media, and I think it's huge, and I think it's really problematic. But I also think that parent expectations are huge. And so I get to send that message a little bit that maybe other people didn't want to send, that that's a big pressure. 
that kids are getting. Um, and there's this unhealthy perfectionism. Kids really have high standards for themselves, and they believe that other people have very high standards for them as well, and they don't want to disappoint people. They don't want to disappoint parents. They don't want to disappoint teachers. They don't want to disappoint their peers. And if you think about all that adding up, that's a lot of anxiety. That's a lot of stress. And in its extreme form, it begins to look like depression. And um, and obviously, that's something that we want to be really careful about. I've certainly heard lots of parents say, the, and over many years, say these exact words, I don't put pressure on my child. He puts it on himself, or she puts it on herself. And um, Rachel Simmons, one of the articles that we linked to the letter that we sent home is by this author, Rachel Simmons. She wrote um, Odd Girl Out. And she wrote in this Washington Post article that there's two things wrong with saying that. One of them is you know, saying to kids, it's, you know, just relax. Don't feel overwhelmed. It's no big deal. It's saying that it's their fault that they feel overwhelmed. So it's one more thing that they're not doing right. It's one more thing that they're kind of messing up on. Um, and the other thing that's wrong with it is that we may want it to be true, but it may not be true. And there is no question that children's f children feel pressure from their parents. Um, the, there was a, the study that Michael was talking about, there have been a number of them about this increase in perfectionism over the last, I don't know, 20 years, even 25 years, and I think there are a lot of reasons for it. Some of them are, are societal. There's in a much more competitive environment. There's a much more um, sense of unrealistic expectations for kids, and parents are anxious. There is no question about it. We're living in anxious times. And some of that anxiety that parents are feeling is being put on to the kids, whether on purpose or not on purpose. Um, parents are much more involved in their children's lives than they ever used to be. And there's the very positive side of that involvement. And there's the potential for the negative side of that involvement as well. Um, you know, so I think that there, um, the other piece I'm, that at the end I'm going to talk about is just this whole um, worrying about schoolwork, worrying about athletics, and then in a school like ours, worrying about the next step, about secondary schools. Um, but I think it's also important to think about the fact that our children are surrounded by what, by what I would call uber successful people. And parents who are highly accomplished, and even though that you know and we know that we've made mistakes and everything hasn't come easily and we've done lots of things in which we've messed up. Our kids don't see that. They see us as quite perfect, actually. They see us as not having to, to seeing as just what we do is great and we're recognized and we're really successful. And so that makes them feel like, why are they struggling when their parents are so successful? Um, they're also going to schools like foot, like schools beyond foot, in which they're surrounded by peers who are intelligent and hardworking and often in their eyes smarter than they are. So many of our kids worry about the other kids being smarter, more accomplished, and you can go on that list. Prettier, having better bodies, um, you know, just on, be having more things that they, can, that they don't have. And so they worry about that and that um, that sense of being able to live up to what their peers are and have is really intimidating. So what can you do to help? I mean, I think there are a couple of things, and I will full disclosure say that I was preparing my comments and then picked up the phone to my daughter, who's a senior in college, and said, 
Does this sound right? <laughs> uh, and she, of course, helped me in many ways. Um, but instead of saying when your child comes home and is feeling really overwhelmed or really upset, rather than saying relax, don't put so much pressure on yourself, there are other things that you can say. I, and I know that when we say that, we're trying to help. It's coming from a really good place. But it's probably more effective to say, to validate how they feel to say, I understand that you feel that way, to ask them why they feel that way, what is making them have that feeling, and help them talk through um, what would happen, you know, what would happen if you didn't get that grade that you were hoping for? You know, would it really be that terrible? Would the world really fall apart? Would you really fail for the year? Like, what would happen if this thing that you're so worried about didn't turn out the way that you had hoped that it would turn out and sometimes saying that out loud can actually help them to see that it's not the worst thing in the world and the other is being consistent so um, your children need to believe you if you say um, I, I just want you to try your best that's all I care about is that you do your best and then when they really tried their best and they come home with a grade that's not what you had hoped for or they had hoped for all of a sudden, the conversation isn't about doing their best. It's about why they got that grade. So how can they believe you the next time you say, I just want you to do your best? Or what you say is, you know, I really want you to be kind to other children. To me, that's the single most important thing. Well, then that has to resonate when something happens and they showed that they were kind, but they didn't achieve the other thing that you were hoping they would achieve or they were hoping that they would achieve. Um, and lastly, I'll just say that in a school like ours that end, and it doesn't matter whether it's a high school because then you have the college issue, our school ends in ninth grade, our kids have to go somewhere after this. So there is, for those students who are in the process or will be in the process of applying for independent secondary schools, I have a few things that I just feel like I have to say, and I don't know if Liam is still in the room or not, um, but the, he is, hi. The first is, and Liam and I talked about this in the car the other day, it's really important to understand that children in our school are competing for spaces in the best schools in the country, in the most competitive schools in the country. And that's really important to remember, and that comes back to being a much more competitive place and people having more unrealistic expectations. The second is that the best school for your child is the one in which he or she will thrive in, not the one in which he or she will constantly be overwhelmed in. So if we're really caring about stress and anxiety, and we're really thinking about their happiness, we really have to think about where they're going to be happiest and thrive and not constantly have that feeling of, can I be as good, can I be as strong, can I achieve as much as everybody else? Um, and, and, and finally, just to say that your role as parents in that process is to help your child see that there are so many different ways to be happy and there are so many different places to be happy. And if you believe that in your heart, then they will believe it in their hearts too. So it starts because their need to please is so incredibly deep, even though as Michael talked about, they may swear at you and say nasty things to you and be annoyed with you and all that stuff. At the very core, they want your approval and they want your love. Um, so I will stop there, and um, I, we, we did go a little longer.